and gentlemen, welcome to the Prairie Track and Field Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Enerson. And I'm your other host, Cameron Rail. And today we are hanging out with a true North Dakota legend, hailing from Daisy, North Dakota. Myron Loberg ran at North Central High School before heading to Valley City State to run collegiately. And while his career as an athlete was stellar, and we're going to hear all sorts of great stories, a lot of folks around the state know Myron for his coaching at Crary High School, at Devil's Lake, and now being a volunteer assistant at North Dakota State University. So, Myron, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. You are absolutely welcome. We are so pumped. You were one of the first people that we talked about getting on the podcast when Cam and I were still brainstorming. So it's good to have you on here. And you are the first coach that we've got on the show. Oh, gee. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah. So you've been around a long time. You've been around the state for a long time and you have seen a lot of changes in the track and field world. And I can't wait to hear about some of them. But we always start with this question, whether we've got younger people on the show, coaches, athletes, whoever. Where did you first get your love for track and field? Or how did you get started? Like what age were you? Where were you at? Just tell us a little bit about that. Well, when I was in school in, in Daisy in uh, elementary school, whatever, uh, fifth, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, junior high and stuff, uh, we'd have little things called play days where we go out and have various races and stuff like that. So uh, uh, that's kind of where I started learning. I just kind of enjoyed it. And then uh, the opportunity uh, came in high school when I was a sophomore. We had a coach by the name of Al Larson who came to teach at North Central. And we started, he started a football program and started track and stuff. And so I got involved at, at that stage and uh, ran all the way through college and uh, in coaching and kept on running, not necessarily competing a whole lot because there wasn't that many opportunities for post-collegiates at that time. So I just ran on my own for my own well-being. So Al Larson, he comes in, he starts this program. What were some of the first events you had tried? And then also at that time, how much did you know about track? You'd probably seen the Olympics every however many years and you'd paid attention to maybe some of the other people competing at like maybe a bigger level. But how does a kid from Daisy um, choose what events that he wants to start pursuing? Well, some of it was chosen for me because in Fayette, I, was, I always won all the crushers. <laughs> and so I uh, thought I was a sprinter. So we started out running 100 and 200 and stuff. And uh, I did all right in those, but uh, nothing spectacular. But then uh, we were at a meet in Jamestown where they didn't have, uh, well, mainly I kind of ran the 100, 200, and 400 stuff. And uh, didn't have a 400 at Jamestown at the El Castle Relays. So uh, I got an opportunity to run the mile. And I broke the county record that day. And a week later, I qualified for state in a mile. And then my distance running was over. <laughs> <laughs> and what, what kind of facilities did you have at Daisy High School? I'm sure you didn't have an all-weather track at that time. Uh, probably not, no. It was called <laughs> running around the grass football field. There was no uh, track of any sort at North Central High School. In Daisy, we had... Uh, a bit of a track out north of the Daisy Elementary School at that time. It was a high school at one time, but then when everything went to North Central, I 
high school closed and the elementary school was still there. But in Daisy had a little park out there on the west side of town that there was a, a track around, it's probably around a 400, but it was more square than oval. So we'd go out and run around that sometimes. I challenged uh, one of the uh, gals in town, horse, her and her horse to me in a race in a hundred meter dash. And, uh, but it was only 20 yards at a time. So it was 20 yards out, 20 yards back, 20 yards out, 20 yards back. So the horse couldn't turn around fast enough. So I beat it. Oh, that's <laughs> amazing. Oh man. I, I could make that corner quicker than a horse could you see? <laughs> yeah. That's incredible. Myron, what was like the, the, like what sort of numbers were on like the track team? Was this like, was it like a whole, every, pretty much everybody in the school came out uh, to yeah, be on we the had, team? Uh, I guess our boys team was probably about 20 people. Now I'm talking about a high school with about 90 and grades nine through 12. You know, we weren't a big school by any stretch of the imagination. We were a, a smaller class B school. And so uh, we'd, we'd have about 20 guys out or so. We had a good team. We won the Barnes County a couple times. Was it a pretty even, even distribution of like people who did the throws and in the field events, or was it was everyone kind of like similar to you, where they just did the event that their coach told them, and uh, you didn't think much about it because you were just out there kind of competing, just just being competitive. Yeah, we were. Uh, we were, fair. of course, you know, the bigger guys went to the throwing events. And uh, smaller guys, we went to running and trying to figure out where we might fit in the most. And, uh, uh, you know, we went from there and kind of pieced together teams and kind of worked our way through events as the season would progress and as our practice sessions would progress and things like that. And so we kind of, for the first year, so we kind of worked our way through where the heck we belonged. And uh, like I say, I ended up being in distances was what I actually preferred to be in. I, I, I didn't mind the sprints, but I was just going like, well, I'm not fast enough to really go ahead. I had decent speed, which helped me in distance running because I was always able to finish strong. I could out sprint most anybody uh, in the last 200 or so. So on episode, or not episode one, but on season one, we had Morgan Milbreath on the show and she talked about as she was growing up running the Hershey track meets at Drake, North Dakota. And we were joking how it was the real Drake relays and they had a track that sounded pretty similar to the one in Daisy. Did you ever run at the Drake track in high school? No, we never went up to Drake. The farthest we would go, we'd go to Valley City, to Hannafield and Valley City, Jamestown to, to the Jamestown College track. And, uh, over to Hope, North Dakota, one time where we had a track meet on a horse racing track, which was a half mile around. And we'd had to kind of cross over one one gravel street and the track would go around and kind of cross the street. So they had to stop the traffic. <laughs> Man. Wild. Where was the state meet when you were in high school? So you qualified it in the distance events. Valley City uh, High School's Hannah Field if you know where that's at. Was the, was like the qualifying 
kind of similar to how it is now where if you placed a certain place at like your section or your region meet you qualified but then were there also like time qualification standards to hit yeah there there was time qualification and place qualification like there is now yep and just to get a little at either standard you're okay and just to get a little time frame on it what years are we talking here what years were you in high school I was in high school from 1960 to 1964, so I graduated in 64. And so uh, there was qualifying standards and times. Like I said, there was standards and there was place at the uh, district or regional meets. And now, the, uh, my first mile was at Jamestown where I broke the county record my second the next week I ran and I qualified for state in the mile. So yeah, we had the qualifying standards and place by district meet. And now what year in high school? Yeah, what year in high school would you have been when you switched over to the mile and you qualify and you set the county record and then you qualify uh, the next would have weekend? Been my would have been my junior year. Um, sophomore year, I was pretty much all sprinter. I don't remember if I ran any distance that year, but I know my junior and senior year, I was the miler, half miler guy. We didn't have a two mile at the time. That so you hadn't come in the picture in the picture yet. Yeah. So you qualify for the state meet, and I only can think of what the state meet is like now. It's in the Bismarck Bowl. You get so many fans, and it's just an electric atmosphere. What was it like the state meet back in 1963, your junior year? Well, uh, it, it was a a pretty big deal. I mean, it was at Hannah Field in Valley City, they got a stadium that might seat three, four hundred, I suppose. Um, and that's about what was there, I guess. And uh, I really don't remember how many people were there as far as the spectator wise, but it, it was just kind of we went down and competed and went back home. You know, uh, it wasn't the uh, big elaboration that it is now with the, you know, the Bismarck Bowl and the thousands of people and and at that time I believe if I remember right we were separate divisions A and B but I don't recall even if we had meets on the same weekend or not A might have been one week and B the next week so it was a lot smaller yeah <clears throat> Myron what's like maybe your most memorable uh, high school race that that you can think of? Most memorable high school race. Oh, let's see. I'd have to think on that one for a second here. I, I guess probably uh, when I end up qualifying for state for the first time would be been a pretty memorable race. And uh, uh, I just uh, went, okay, you know, I've, I've found some talent I might have. And so I, I enjoyed that moment of uh, qualifying for state. Was that something that you had expected to do before the race? Like, were you, was that the goal at, on the start line? It's like, I'm going for the state qualifying standard, or was that kind of a, a surprise to you that you had hit that time? No, I was going to win the race. And my time ended up qualifying for state. And I won the race along with it. So it was, it was I guess I've always, whether I've coached or I've ran, I, I coach and ran to win. And uh, whatever my time was, was immaterial. I, I was more concerned with place and time. And 
my times fell where they fell and uh, if it qualified, it qualified. Yeah, I think that's something that kids these days, and I say that as if I'm like really old looking down on, and I lose sight in this too, but sometimes we get so wrapped up in the time or for me in the decathlon, it's the score. And you're so worried about the time and the score or the distance, the mark. But if you just go back to that simpleness of competing to win, those times and marks and distances, usually they come right along with it. Yeah, that, the biggest thing is to, you know, try to make a little progress all the time. Uh, you're not going to improve by 30 seconds in one week unless, uh, you know, some outstanding things have occurred. But I mean, if you can make, like some of them say, 1% progress every week or every workout or every situation, you know, now those little progresses all of a sudden become very big. And if you're ready to go on the, the particular day, you just go out and run your event or, you know, running an event or throwing an event or whatever sport it might be, just work to improve each day. Uh, you're going to find yourself landing in some pretty good spots. I think in terms of like fans of the sport too, it's a lot easier to understand competition when the focus is on winning and it's a lot harder to understand when you give like some arbitrary, like, you know, number or time. If somebody's never watched track, they're not going to know how good a 49 second 400 is, you know, but there, if it comes down to the wire of like one guy kicking past another to win that, you know, everybody understands winning a race. So. Yeah, that's, yeah, and that's sometimes winning isn't always first place. I mean, if you watch, you know, especially like distance running and stuff, uh, within a distance race, you got a lot of different races. You got that group up in front that's going to try to earn that 10 points for the team where, but back there in 10th or 15th place, you've got little races of each one trying to beat that one that they might be nearby and improve their time. You know, and if, if they've made some progress, they've actually, and I, I would say, you know, they've won their thing that they're doing. They might not walk off with the first place trophy or ribbon, but they have improved their time and, you know, feel good about what they have accomplished on that particular day. Then they can move ahead from there. And all of a sudden they might be up at the front of the pack. That's the Myron Loberg wisdom I knew we were going to hear on this podcast. So I can't wait for what else you're going to drop on us. So that's your junior year. How did the state meet go as a junior? Uh, as a junior, I don't really remember exactly what place I got. At that time, they only gave uh, five places. So I think I was, if I remember, yeah, I was like sixth or seventh, something like that. And so as a result, I never placed it. I never did place the state track meet per se, you know, I didn't get up on the award stand or anything like that during high school. And so uh, I don't think I was offended because there was three days in my high school that I held every school record from the hundred, we were doing yards and feet and stuff. So I held every record from the hundred yard dash through the mile, including the four by one, four by two and four by four relays. Whoa. Until one of my teammates broke my uh, school record, I think it was in the 800, a couple of days later. So if that's any kind of 
<laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> Maybe our school wasn't very good, you know. <laughs> but uh, but I end up like I said, three days ahead of all the school records. <laughs> so you don't find yourself on the award stand in your junior or senior year, but you get this taste of distance running and you go on to Valley city state. Now just tell us at the time recruiting these days is crazy. And as a volunteer assistant at NDSU, you understand you spend time calling the recruits. They come in on an official visit. You have to follow up with them and maybe go to a meet of theirs or two, or if they play another sport, you go to a game. What was recruiting like at that time or just tell us how you ended up at Valley City State. Well, basically, uh, uh, Larry Gruders, who was the track coach at Valley City State, uh, got a hold of myself, uh, Phil Mueller, and Brian Dwyer, two of my classmates, came out to North Central, and we sat down, uh, I believe it was down in the locker room one day, and he chit-chatted with us and asked us if we would uh, like to come and attend Valley City State, and we all said, yeah. No scholarships, no nothing, just would you like to come to Valley City? And we went, yeah, we'll be down there. So we all went down there. Didn't all, I, I think I lasted all four years and I believe Phil Mueller was there for, completed most of his years and Brian Dwyer, he, uh, he opted out of school actually after the first quarter and went to the hills of Idaho and hibernated out in the forest. But yeah, that recruiting was, Basically, him coming to school and uh, visiting with us one day, and there it was. What uh, what was like the competition, like conference set up back then? Then it was called the North Dakota College Athletic Conference (NDCAC), which constituted uh, Valley City State, Jamestown College, Dickinson, Minot, Mayville, Ellendale. And I believe Wapton Science was in there, even though they were a junior college, because they had no conference to compete in. So they joined that. So it was basically those seven schools. And it's so, so it, was, it, was a, it was a pretty good conference. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's so interesting to me because sports in college is so much about, about like the money or – I don't even know, like, especially when you're talking like NDSU football or even these like smaller Valley city and Jamestown schools and, and football it, to me, it seems all just about like, Oh, I like the prestige of the athletes. Like, Oh, I played football in college. I played basketball in college. And um, I don't know. It just, it seems like it was, it was a lot different back then. Um I don't really know what like my question is about it, but like, well, what was kind of, yeah, just what was like the atmosphere of college athletics in general back when you were competing? Oh, in track and field, it was, it was a very competitive uh, conference because uh, you know, Valley city, Mayville, Jamestown, we're not too far apart. So there's a big rivalry there. And especially like in basketball and football, there would be a lot of, a lot of big crowds uh, at the games and stuff like that. You know, and in, in track, we would, you know, we competed hard against each other. And uh, it was, it was, it was a good uh, rivalry and a good atmosphere and stuff. Uh, yeah, it doesn't involve the money and all that sort of stuff like it does nowadays, but uh, the rivalries were, were huge, you know, it just, uh, 
you know, 30 miles from Valley City, Jamestown, whatever, 50, 60 miles in Mayville State and, you know, things like that. Dickinson out west was, was a good rival and stuff. So when, it, when those schools played each other, I mean, you didn't have just one rival. You know, like you talk about NDSU, UND. That's the big rival, you know, and then you got South Dakota State and South Dakota, but they're, they're big, but not as big as the UND, where at, at the NDCAC, I mean, every match between each conference school was a big deal, and particularly the Minots, Jamestowns, Dickinsons and stuff were the biggest, biggest rivals, and there were some kind of nasty basketball games and football games between the two different institutions, wherever it might be, but you'd had three to four big time rivals. Yeah. I was talking to another North Dakota coaching legend, coach Zimney the other day at the Bison open. And he was telling us about how he ran at Mayville state and back when they had a track and field program. Did you, did you know coach Zimney back then? Did you compete against him or was he a little bit earlier well, or later than you? I think he was a little bit later than me. I'm not quite sure, but we were pretty close together. But he was in different events where I was a distance runner, and uh, I don't recall exactly what he ran. I don't think he was a distance runner, but uh, I know we were uh, we were probably a little bit, or I was probably a little bit ahead of when he was there, because I okay. know visiting with him one time at a track meet, he was talking about how us guys at Valley City State, whatever, were kind of leaders of running the, the higher mileage kinds of workouts. We were a little bit ahead of our time. Mm -hmm. And so we, we would get in a lot of miles ahead of what other schools begin to do and add to their programs. Yeah. So you find yourself at Valley City in the NDCAC. And I love when you post old pictures on Facebook of your time there and your, you guys are lined up before or after a race. Walk us through some of those years. Did you see immediate success at Valley City State? Because from the stories you've told me in the past, it sounds like that's where your running career started to take off. Yeah, see, in, in high school, uh, I competed in one cross-country meet my senior year. I was a quarterback on a football team. And when football season ended, Coach Larson asked me if I wanted to run the state cross-country meet. I said, what's that? Well, you're going to run about two miles around the golf course. Oh, okay. What do I need to do? Well, be down at Valley City because the state meet was at the Valley City Country Club on the northeast corner of town. He said, be there at nine o'clock and uh, be ready to go. So I went down there and I didn't find anybody. Changed clothes in my car. Got out, looked around, didn't see anybody. All of a sudden, I saw a bunch of guys lined up in this line. I ran over, I got in and a gun went off and away I went. And I thought, uh, <laughs> two miles. I've never raced two miles. I ran more than two miles. I never raced two miles. I better, better not go real hard. Well, we were done in a hurry and went, oh, shoot. If I had known that, I could have got up and got it myself an all-state award, but I ended up 25th out of 105 and uh, 15 were all-state. So then when I went to college, I just began running and just pushed myself and working hard. And our conference meet took off and tried to run as a pack up near the front and I faded back to like 10th or 12th. And the next week when our district meet, it was both North Dakota and South Dakota schools combined. Um, I took off there and thought, well, I'm going to hold back a little bit and work my way through the pack. So I just kept 
plowing through and I may have started out last. I don't know how far back I was, but going up one hill and chipped off a few people and around some corners and down and up and down the ravines. Uh, northeast corner of that country club in Valley City has got some nice hills and valleys. And so I'm going down a valley and coming up the hill and getting on top. And I looked ahead and I didn't see anybody. And I'm like, oh, what the heck's going on here? I'm not in first place. I didn't see Bob Bauer from Mayville or Chico Whirlinger from Valley City. Well, then all of a sudden they popped up in the next hill and discovered I was third place out of the whole heat. So I, I was ready to sprint with about a mile to go. And uh, I just come tearing around and I had a guy coming down the uh, finish line coming after me and I could hear him pounding and I just kept going as hard as I could go. And all of a sudden I heard him let out a big groan, so I knew I had beaten him, and I was equally as tired as he was, but mentally I had I had beaten him because I broke him where he where he just kind of gave out a big groan, and I made my way to the finish line, got third place, and you know, that's just kind of how it went. I just, I just kept on pushing myself and working hard and running miles and doing what I needed to do to be, to be the best I could be. Now, what year of college was that, that race? That was my freshman year. Oh, okay, that's so right away as a freshman. So you go from not being on the state podium at the state track meet ever to being third place at your district meet. That's unbelievable. Yeah, it, it was it was quite it was quite fun. About how many miles a week were you running, Myron? In college, uh, freshman year, oh, uh, I would say probably. 60 to 70 and then by the time I was a junior and senior we were probably up to close to 100 miles a week that's what I'm talking about and I'm guessing you probably weren't wearing uh the Nike four percent shoes the alpha flies you probably didn't have any of those uh, maybe they were probably 105 <laughs> percent yeah <laughs> might have weighed a couple of pounds or a pound and a half probably yeah they weren't uh, they were all leather with spikes three quarters of an inch to an inch long. That's incredible. That, I mean, you're just seeing so much, especially I feel like this season, how much technology, especially in shoes, is helping uh, athletes just achieve their like maximum potential. Uh, one of my favorite pictures that I've seen of you running is, is doing the, the steeplechase. Oh, uh, yeah. And, and you've told me this story uh, plenty of times before. So if you can share it again now, but the, you're doing the steeplechase at like the conference meet. I think you would run the mile and the 5k. So you did the mile, the 5k and the steeplechase all in the same meet, but the steeple pit is just a, a hole cut out of the ground with like a plastic lining filled with water. And the barriers is held up by like two officials, uh, so I don't know, you just want to tell us a little bit about what steepling was like in your day and yeah and that, that would have been my that would have been my junior year and uh, that conference meet was held up at Valley City High School at Hannah Field on the north side of Valley City so they did not have a steeplechase pit and so uh, yeah they dug a hole and put a plastic liner and held the steeplechase barrier down and and away we went and uh, you know that, that's just how it was because there was no steeplechase pit, so we had to, they had to make one. The next year, uh, Valley City State had gotten in their 
their new track, which was the uh, second all-weather track in the state. The first one was down at Wapton Science, then Valley City State got one. Then, so the next year, my senior year, the the meet was held at Valley City State at 32 degrees, and I was dumb enough to be the first guy over the steeplechase barrier and break through the ice. So I had one <laughs> one foot wet and cold, and the other foot dry and still kind of cold because it was only 30. <laughs> about 30 degrees that day. Oh, goodness. So one foot wet and one foot dry, and that's what I try to teach, uh, or what I help a little bit with some of the steeplechase stuff was that the biggest thing is you only want to get one foot wet at a maximum. So you, you want to push off the barrier enough to get out far enough so you land with just at best one foot in the water and the other foot's on dry land. Much mm -hmm. easier, because if you drop down off the barrier, you got to plow your way throughout that uh, couple of feet of water as it tapers its way up. So it's, you, you basically come to a dead stop. So if you push off the barrier, get one foot wet, wet and one foot dry, you're already back on the track running. Especially if yeah, you got to break, break through the ice. By the time you were done at Valley City State, and I've got one other Valley City story I'm going to ask you about in just a moment, but by the time you're done at Valley City State, were you ever an individual conference champion or how many team titles had you guys won? What were some of your accolades that you finished college with? Uh, well, I was a two times conference cross country champion. And I uh, was also a conference champion in the, the three mile. We had mileage at that time. And I established the uh, conference record in the three mile. And, uh, that was probably as far as the competition-wise goes. I was all four years I was at college. I was voted the uh, hardest worker, and my last three years, sophomore, junior, and senior, I was captain or co-captain of our cross country and track teams. So uh, I felt I had a pretty good career. Yeah, and the story I'm going to ask you about, and I'm trying to think details here, but something about some guy from like Great Britain coming to Valley City and you racing him. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, I, I don't know if he was from Great Britain, but he was a, he might've been a, the, not sure which one you're talking about, at Canada and at immediate Mayville, when Mayville, uh, we had a meet there and, and a team from Canada came down, a guy by the name of Arian Gelling from Canada. He was the, uh, national champion in Canada and in the mile he ended up beating me by about 20 yards or 25 yards so I decided that in the two mile he wasn't going to beat me so I took off and ran with him and I ended up breaking away from him and I ended up beating him by about 200 yards so that's one of my big accolades I guess as far as being a beating that and, and I raced against a, a guy from St. Cloud State who uh, in 1964, I believe it was, ended up being on the U.S. Olympic team in the 10,000 meters. And so I, I had a chance at the national NAI meet to run against him. But, uh, but yeah, the, the, it was a, probably the Canadian guy that you're thinking of. And Arian Gelling was his name. So I had the, the honor of beating him, let's say, in the, in the two-mile run, which was quite a thrill for me because even – Several years later at a track meet in Devil's Lake, there was a team from Winnipeg that came down and uh, I'm in a press box and in walks this guy. Yeah, there's that guy that beat Darian Gelling. I'm going like, what? 
how do you know who I am? Well, here was his coach. <laughs> it was interesting many years later to link up like that. Yeah, yeah, that must be the story that I'm thinking about, but pretty yeah. big deal beating the Canadian national champion. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was, because he was good. That's great. When you, so Myron, uh, when you finished running uh, at Valley City and you, gra what did you graduate with? What, what degree did you graduate with? Uh, I had a double major in math and phi ed, a minor in physics, and a certificate in driver's ed. Man. So I had quite a few bases covered. Yeah. Was your plan always then to become a teacher right out of college and, and hopefully coach? Yes, because Al Larson, when he came to North Central, uh, he, he kind of gave me the inspiration because he gave me a chance, you know. I, wouldn't, I maybe wouldn't have had that chance had he not come to the North Central High School. That somebody else, maybe I wouldn't have got it. But I just thought then that I want to give some other students and athletes a, an opportunity. And so I thought, yeah, I'm going to go into education. And uh, I've been there ever since. Forgot to get out. <laughs> but I don't regret it. No, and I know just by looking at your Facebook page, all the interactions you have with former athletes of yours, I'm, I know they don't regret it either. So you end up in Crary, North Dakota. How did that happen? How did that happen? Well, let's see. Well, of course, as I was graduating and I went into the placement office and uh, looking at posters of who was looking for positions. And in high school, we'd played Crary in basketball for the right to go to the state tournament a couple, three times out of my high school years. And so uh, I saw that they had this opening. Uh, I thought, well, that's interesting, but thought nothing of it. Well, the placement office asked me if I was going to stay in state because of the Vietnam War situation, because if you stayed in state, you were a valuable resource. And if you went out of state, they looked at that as well. You're not so valuable. So, you know, you're more subject to being drafted. And I said, yeah, I, I plan to stay in the state. Well, it just so happened that day, the superintendent of Crary was down there. And they said, yeah, he'd like to talk to you and stuff. I'm going, what the heck? So, okay. Went in and visited with him. And my first question was, when can I come and see the school? Well, I said, I'm just kind of going through the exercises here to get practice on, you know, interviews and all that sort of stuff. Well, before we got done, we'd set up a time to go up to Crary and see the school. So I hopped in my car and took off and uh, it was a pretty icy road that day. I, if I probably had more sense, I wouldn't even have gone, but what I did and uh, I went up and uh, I went through Jamestown up 281. And as I came into Devil's Lake, I headed, I didn't know which direction I was going. And I kept going, I'm getting out of town. I'm going, I think I went the wrong way. So I turned around and stopped at the gas station and said, where's Crary? He said, go back to Highway 2 and take a left at the stoplight and go about 10 miles. So I did. Got out there, went through the school, and at, looked it over and stuff. And uh, How much you take to sign today? They want me to, I said, no, I'm not ready to sign. I'm just looking. Well, they, they stayed on my case for a couple different weeks and called me and stuff and came down one night to visit with me. And uh, all right, so we went out and had the supper at one of the local restaurants, Highliner Cafe in Main Avenue there in Valley City. And uh, 
sitting there talking and they were talking about this and that and everything, you know, and wanting to have me come and go and what do you take to sign? You know, what do you take to sign? And man, I'm going like, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. This is uh, crazy. I said, well, what's, you know, what do you, what kind of offers do you have or whatever? Well, our base is about $6,000. Now remember this is 1968. So it's, that was, that was a fairly decent salary. And, uh, I said, well, what do you offer anything extra for coaching? Because I said, I'd like to start cross country and coach your basketball and, and start a track team. Well, they said, what would you what would you need? So I was gonna throw them a number so high they wouldn't want me. So I said, five hundred dollars. <laughs> and they looked at each other a little bit, boy, that's quite a bit. If we go home, they're gonna be pretty upset. If we go home without them, they're gonna be more upset. So the superintendent reaches in his pocket, pulls out a contract, and I have a job. Sixty-five hundred dollars, nineteen sixty-eight, and so went back to the college and kind of said I had a job. In fact, the night before those guys came down, they wanted to come down a day earlier, but I said I was going to Fargo to order a car. So I was I had been down to Fargo and ordered a car before I had a job. <laughs> That's crazy. And what kind of car was it? It was a 1968 Cutlass Supreme, two-door hardtop, red with white interior. Wow. 380 uh, cubic inch engine in it. <laughs> I'm up and lay them down pretty good. Yeah, you must have felt like just the man after you had that car, huh? You got the job, you got the car, and you're ready to start your career. Kind of, kind of a job I really wasn't looking for because I had no plans to go to Query, but hey, God had me a uh, reason for me to be up there, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I, I never regretted going there after I got here. It was like I say, yeah, it was, it was, it was interesting. I was off and ready to go and do what I could do. Yeah. And to be honest, I know more about your basketball coaching career at Crary than I do your cross country or track and field, because you had at one point North Dakota state scoring record legend Ed Brown. So Maybe tell us a little bit about the basketball side of the things, but tell us also about how it was getting a track team and cross country team started. Yeah, well, when I got up there, like I said, I started a cross country team and I got just about the whole basketball team out running and uh, got them, you know, getting in shape for basketball season. And we'd have open gyms and stuff like that. And uh, so I got these guys out running and got a few meets lined up. I had to do everything. Uh, within the confines of basically the school day because, you know, they all farmed and, and stuff and had to be home for harvest in the fall and things. And so basically my uh, Fayette kind of class became cross country practice. And so we'd run a few miles around the school and down to the highway and because Crary's about a half mile off the highway too. And so we'd run down there and back and forth and around and stuff and uh, went through some Cross country meets and the one cross country that sticks out in particular in my mind is is the meet over at Minnewaukan, and we're running there and the guys are going. I'm cheering them on and stuff. And uh, my uh, starting uh, forwards and guard uh, were running. They came across the finish line uh, dead heat together, and they were just so excited. They said, "We never stopped once." You should have seen them guys walking up the hill. We went right on by them. I mean, I started laughing, but cheering for them because 
for them, that was a great accomplishment to not have to stop and walk during a race, you know, because, you know, their conditioning was, was good enough, but yet they didn't know enough about it. They really pushed themselves and stuff, but they'd made that much progress that they didn't have to stop and walk, you know, so that was, that was kind of a highlight of cross country at Quarry. <laughs> and then the basketball season came along and, uh, I was my first day of school. The principal pointed out a guy in the back corner of the room and said, yeah, he'll get you 20, 25 a game. I'm going, oh, that's pretty good. Well, as it turned out, he averaged 32 and a half points a game his senior year. First player to ever score 2000 points in a high school career. No three point line. Uh, Ed Brown is his name. And uh, it was just, we had a team who, Later on, I found out most people thought if we got fourth in the district, we'd be lucky. Well, we won the district. We won the first game in the regions. We were one game away from going to the state tournament with a team that was supposed to be uh, maybe around 500 and finished fourth in the district or something. And at that time, only district champions could move on to regions. And so if you didn't win the district, your season was over. And so we... Uh, Made it all the way to the regional finals and they ended up getting snuffed out by Wolford. But it was a, it was, yeah, it was very interesting track. I, and out in the back of the school, I scratched out a 220 yard track in the dirt back there and uh, got some uh, hay bales for high jump landing pit. And uh, um, I don't even know if we had long jump pit. I don't even think I dug a hole for a long jump pit. So we didn't, we didn't. We did, we just practiced steps in a long jump, but uh, high jump, we, and I had a few foam rubber bags a little bit for high jump and stuff, but that was about it. And we go into the North Dakota School for the Deaf and have some track meets. They had a dirt, clay, cinder type track. Devil's Lake had a cinder, kind of a clay track out there in Roosevelt Park on the west side of town. And that's where we basically had our meets. So it was, we had no, we had no all-weather tracks. I mean, like I said, Valley City State had the second all-weather track uh, in the state of North Dakota. And uh, other than that, uh, up, up in that area was everything was clay and cinder and what have you kind of tracks. You had uh, starting blocks with the big long spikes that you would pound into the ground so that they would hold while you took off. We didn't have the nice starting blocks we've got now or the nice tracks or the shoes or the shoes right on yep yep shoes were fairly heavy but yeah that was so i spent two years out in prairie and uh, it was a good time what was like the transition from because devil's lake was your next stop then right after prairie yeah, right after Cray. Cray's 10 miles east of Devil's Lake, so it wasn't real far as travel-wise to switch towns, but uh, a totally different school. In Cray, we had 33 kids in uh, grades 9 through 12. In Devil's Lake, well, I was having classes of 20 or 25 in one section, you know, and you have five sections a day or something, so you're having 125 kids a day, let alone the uh, my largest class in query was nine. Um, that was the ninth grade class I had in algebra. So it was, uh, it was uh, quite a transition that way. And I started in, well, in query, they needed a, 
a math teacher, a science teacher, a phi ed teacher, a coach, and a driver's ed teacher. And I discovered later on that I was the only person in the state of North Dakota that had that many degrees. So I guess that's why they kept hounding me. Yeah, maybe you should have asked for him up for a few more thousand, I guess. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I was going to say. So you go to Devil's Lake and you have quite a profound impact there. I mean, the track is named after you now and it's all weather. It's not a cinder track anymore. It's an all weather one. But well, what were some of the highlights when you coached at Devil's Lake? And some of the things I've seen you share on Facebook, you coached Doreen Heisler, who went on to have a phenomenal basketball career at UND. Um, you coached my old neighbor, now Marilyn Ripplinger. I don't know what her maiden name is, but you Nelson. coached Nelson. Okay, so you coached her, and you had a lot of great things happen while you were there. What are just a few of the highlights or things that stick out to you from your time at Devil's Lake? Well, there's a whole pile of them, actually, probably in a lot of ways. But uh, when I first got there, I was uh, I had applied for the job, and, and the uh, superintendent kind of went to, well, we need a wrestling coach, you know, and I went assistant wrestling. I said, no, forget that idea. I had one, one class of wrestling, I said, in college to get my kind of degree in coaching and stuff like that. We had to take a wrestling, a little bit of all different sports, and, but we had to wrestle a six-minute match and stuff. And I said, no, I don't have any. I said, if you've got somebody that will do your, your job, you're looking at coach wrestling, I said, you better hire him. Well, a week later, they called back and said, well, we want to offer you the job. I said, no wrestling. I said, no, we got somebody, but Bill Osmond give you a good recommendation for track. Would you help with track? I said, sure. So I got in there, and then I also helped with the basketball program. Ray Herbal was the basketball coach, and so I helped with the basketball program and uh, track pro or the track program, and then I started, started the cross-country program there. And uh, in my early stage, the first couple of years, uh, I had a gentleman by the name of Dale Axman. He was a two-time state 800 champion. And in 1973, he ran the fastest eight. Well, at that time, it was 880 yards at 156.2. And uh, was a two-time state champion. Uh, had a two-time state champion at Gretchen Byam in, in the girls' division. Um, started fellowship, or didn't start a fellowship at Christian Alcee, but there was a coach there who had started that, and then he left, so... Myself and Ray Herbal and a couple of other uh, ladies teaching there, Sherry Matthews and Lloyd Robinson, we built up a, a nice big FCA group. We had, uh, on a weekly basis, we'd have 30 to 35 athletes and students there. And we had a movie night, we'd have like 50 to 60 and even some parents came. But uh, yeah, your neighbor, Marilyn, yeah, she was on my ninth grade team one year and she was also a classmate of Doreen Heisler and Doreen, uh, like you mentioned, she uh, was the first class A girl to score 2000 points in a high school career. Uh, she became a starter as a seventh grader. However, her first game she started as a seventh grader was in the state tournament. She was 12 years old and uh, we went on that year and played for the championship and got beat. But uh, she started from the state tournament all the way through high school and all the way through, well, one year at the junior college and then three years at UND. And uh, it was for, let's see, five, nine years out of her 10 years of 
high school and college basketball, she was either all state or all American. And so she was a, a very good in high school in javelin. She was a javelin thrower for me, high jumper, long jumper. Uh, so she, yeah, she was a great, great athlete to uh, help Darcy. Darcy Deitch is, a, is another great athlete I had. She was a high school athlete of the year in, in track and field and was on a state championship basketball team. Her older sister, Debbie Deitch, was a, a state champion basketball player for us on our, on our first state championship team. And now she has two sons playing in the NBA, the Jones brothers, Tyus and Trey Jones. Uh, One's at San Antonio and one is in uh, Nashville. So, and like I say, a lot of different athletes throughout the year. Trips across the United States with uh, athletes to Fellowship of Christian Athlete Conference. We didn't have like the more, we had a state conference at Red Willow Bible Camp, like the third weekend in November. But then otherwise, your national camps were off in places like Colorado and Arkansas and uh, North Carolina, places like that. And so, and down in Indianapolis area, there was a conference center. I drove a bus for 10 years down there picking up athletes from Devil's Lake, Grand Forks, Fargo, Minneapolis area, and going to Indianapolis area with them, with them and stuff like that. So it was, it was a great time. God blessed me very well. Yeah, it really sounds like it. And you even took some athletes abroad. You went to some different countries with athletes. Right. I formed a track team out of the state of North Dakota. And uh, as I've looked back over the years and, and kind of pieced things together, I think it was one of the first, if not the first high school group to ever go and compete. I mean, you know, you have your national, you know, Olympians and that sort of thing on a high school basis representing the United States. I went through some extra loops with USA track and field so we could represent the United States. So we got a USA uniform. We did run into high school athletes over there, but they were running for, you know, various clubs or various uh, sporting goods stores or something like that, where we had USA on our jerseys. And uh, needless to say, uh, we watched them very carefully because seemed like there was people who kind of might like to have them. And we even attended what's known as the Bislett Games in uh, Oslo, Norway, more world record on that track than any track there was. And so uh, we got to watch that one night and uh, there was a lady by the name of Greta Weitz who was going for the world record in the 10K and the, the excitement in the stadium because she was from Norway. Man, as they would lap the track, the cheers would follow her all the way around. That was a very fun thing and meet got done and our athletes jumped the fence and went down and got pictures with the, some of the Americans because they realized that they had the same uniform we did. So it was, it was quite a treat. And then they come back to, well, they're going to have a get together at the hotel. Can we go? I said, they told us we could come. I said, well, yeah, where's it at? Well, they didn't know. <laughs> well, in Oslo, Norway, I have no clue what hotel that might be. So we didn't get to go to that. But yeah, it was, it was fun taking those athletes there to experience the different kinds of competition and seeing some big championship meets and things like that. It was, uh, got into the Wimbledon tennis tournament one year and I saw some of that. And, uh, you know, another uh, big meet up in Birmingham, 
England and things like that. Yeah, those are great experiences. Those those people came home with some great memories. Man, Myron, you have you have so many like different stories. There, like I wish we had the time to go into like detail on on every single like every everything that you've done. Uh, this is maybe going backwards a little bit, but me and Ryan and I, uh, we did some, we were doing some research uh, a couple of weeks ago on like 400 meter runners uh, from the state, and we came across a name that that we had never seen before, uh, Drexel Lawson. Uh, he ran for the North Dakota School of the Deaf. I was just wondering if you uh, remembered watching him compete, um, and what if you knew anything about him that you could share with us. Well, yeah, I had the unfortunate pleasure of competing against him. I mean, coaching against him. But that was a foregone conclusion who was going to win the race. Uh, yes, he was at the North Coast School of Deaf, which was, uh, well, Devil's Lake that time high school was down in the central part of town. But the track was out in the northeast part of town that we'd got, we'd got built. Uh, just as a sidelight, that track in Devil's Lake was the first high school track meet that was all weather. Uh, we got the first all-weather track in the in the state at Devil's Lake, but yeah, Drexel Austin ran for the School for the Deaf uh, meets at the School for the Deaf and and the Devil's Lake track. I watched him run many times, and yeah, putting him on your mixed four by four was the right decision because he was fast. And you got to consider the uh, you know the facilities he had and the training uh, conditions he had and where he ran. His times were phenomenal. But yeah, he, he was a tremendous, I have a picture I think I posted on uh, Facebook one time where I was doing some articles about some of our track teams that are, as our, we won the conference and things that putting all you may have seen by heaven. One picture, big picture of him uh, crossing the finish line. Yeah, he, he was an amazing runner. And the thing is with the deaf kids, you see, well, they don't hear the gun go. So they have to react to the people around them. Mm -hmm. So otherwise, they don't know when you're saying set or anything. So as it started there, you know, you see them raising their hands. Well, part of that was to help deaf kids because your hand to be parallel. If you're the starter, you got the starting gun up above your head. Your other hand is out parallel to the ground, so they know it's on your marks. And then they have to kind of look up and see you raise your hand. Then they know it's set, and then they have to just kind of either try to look up to see the gun go off or react to those beside him. So they're at a little bit of a disadvantage. And of course, in a 400, you got a little bit of time to make it up, but in a 100, that's not a lot. You could, you know, lose some ground in a hurry there because you're, you're just a few hundredths of a second slow. Yeah, yeah it, it, it's interesting coaching against deaf kids and, and watching them compete. Yeah, I think we're going to have to have you back on sometime just to ask you about all these different stories because, yeah, you've been around a lot. So now you're at NDSU, you're a volunteer assistant. When Cam and I were competing there, you were around the track all the time. And I think it was even maybe during our fourth or fifth year on the team, you had coached a West Fargo high school sophomore girls basketball team one winter. Do you ever just stop and think about how many – people you've impacted or how many kids you've coached or taught because it's got to be an extraordinary number 
Yeah, I have no idea. I probably would be in the thousands. I suspect after uh, about 50, whatever years of, you know, I had 39 years of high school coaching and then I came down here and, you know, helped out there at SU and then uh, did some coaching over at the West Fargo and my speed and acceleration program. Yeah, it, it'd be a few thousand, I, I guess. I really have no way of counting that many, but yeah, it's, it's been interesting, you know, coming down when I first came down here at NDSU, I mean, the, they had Ryan Godfrey was the head women's, Lars was the head men's, Stevie was the associate head coach. Then they had a part-time high jump coach in Desiree Larson, part-time long triple jump coach in Brent Palmer, and a grad assistant was the throwing coach. That's when I got down here. So I kind of got handling the, the sprinters because Stevie kind of handled the multis and the and the hurdles, and I helped some helped with the sprinters and some with some of the hurdling on occasion, but mostly with the sprinters. And now you, you guys know where the coaching staff is at today. It's one of the best ones in the country. Yeah, yeah. There's been a lot of turnover for the best, and and then even you mentioned Coach Godfrey at Kansas State now, and Coach yeah. Larson retiring, and Stevie being the director of the programs. It's quite amazing. So, and Rachel Longforce came in after the grad assistant to be the throws coach, but then she opted to go back to California to train for the uh, Olympics, and then a guy by the name of Justin St. Clair showed up. Never heard of him. Never heard of him. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the oh, best throwing coach in the country. Yeah, I think he is. I don't think He's there's the much. top in the world, I think. Yeah, I don't think there's much debate there. No. So, when Cam and I started this podcast, one of the reasons was to try to promote the sport within the state. We've seen participation numbers kind of fluctuating over the years. And some people would say that not as many kids are excited about track as they once were. And I hear your stories about the camps you would put on at Devil's Lake because you, young Stevie Keller, came to your camps when he was a, a kid. And, and you've done so much then. And I hear those stories and I think of them as like the glory days. And now we look at track and maybe participation numbers are down. They've had to add like provisional qualifiers at the state meet to round out the fields. They've had to do a few different things. How do you feel about the state of track and field right now compared to what it was? Are you hopeful about it? Are there things that you would change if you were maybe in charge? And I don't, this is a very open-ended question. You could answer this however you want, but what are some, I guess, what are some of the changes that you've seen over the years? Have they been for the better? How do you feel about track in North Dakota right now? Uh, I think track is, is in, a, in a pretty good position. Um, you know, we, we've had the addition of more sports uh, back there. Like when I was coaching at early days in my coaching career, there was spring sport was basically uh, track. Now you've got soccer, they've put in, you know, girls fast pitch, they've moved baseball from strictly American Legion to be high school and then American Legion in the summertime, you know, so that pulls kids away. And so uh, I, I track, uh, I don't know if that I, I'm not really followed where the numbers are at, but I'm not sure how they are projecting wise, but I, 
I think that they're fairly good. When I look at some of the programs around the, uh, here, especially like, you know, West Fargo's got now, well, two and a half high schools. They got, um, but Horace coming in here in another year or so, but man, when I look at the uh, West Fargo Cheyenne and, and the West Fargo High School, holy Moses, if they were in one school, man, would they have a slew of people. And so I think overall, the big schools are doing good. I think some of the smaller schools suffer a little bit because if they're going to try to offer all, you know, say, well, there's some golf in the spring too. But so if you've got softball, baseball, soccer, you know, those kinds of things going, you're, you're spreading out small schools pretty thin. And so as a result, uh, I don't know that they can manage to be real good in, in any of the, uh, any of the sports because they just don't get the numbers that are necessary, you know, but yet a soccer team takes probably 15 to 18 kids at a minimum to play baseball team, probably another 18 and a softball team, another 18 or so. And, and a lot of them like to maybe do some of those sports because they think they're easier, you know, or track the other, they think about just running your guts out and puking at the end, you know, but uh, yet, I think with track, you can see so much individual uh, performances and progress. You know, like I say, the kid may be at the pack, back of the pack, but they've had a PR. Uh, to me, they've, they've won that day. They might not get the blue ribbon, but they made progress. And like I say, when I see some of these athletes and uh, stuff just moving ahead and making progress and making progress and feeling good about themselves, that's kind of what it's all about. And I, I think sometimes we miss rewarding some of those people for their efforts. And we're so focused on uh, winning the championship that we uh, lose sight of what it's all about. And so I, I think, the, I think it's in, in good shape. Could it be in better shape? Oh, sure. But uh, I think with where we're at and what we've got going, I think uh, you look at that state track meet, man, that's, that's pretty impressive. Uh, I think we have one of the better, State track meets around now. What will be like this spring with the COVID business? I don't know if they'll all be together at the Bismarck Bowl or if you'll have uh, two different weekends of Class A one weekend, Class B another weekend. I don't know how that's being worked out, but I'm assuming at this point they're trying to do, you know, the regular meet at the Bismarck Bowl. But yeah, I'd like to see more, but you got to get some kids convinced of uh, the fact that, you know, hey, come on out. There's it's not all running. You got, you can run, you can jump, you can throw, you, you can find a niche someplace, you know, that uh, there's an event somewhere that you can find yourself being and being contributing to the team and where track needs a whole bunch of people to contribute to the team aspect of things. And so uh, from there, I think you can build on stuff where some other sports, uh, you got eight or nine in a, in a softball game or a baseball game and, and there are not many room for substitutes. It's not like a track meet where you can put five or six or 10 or 15 people in an event. And so there's lots of room for lots of kids to see progress, but sometimes it's hard to convince them of that sort of thing. But I think overall it's, it's in pretty good shape. Yeah, I, I think so too. Uh, it, I mean, especially when you look at, the number of people who come to watch the state meet and like, I mean, we, 
we kind of try and highlight some of the people who are like signing to continue running in, in college and stuff. The number of people who are choosing to continue participating uh, in track and field uh, past high school, I think uh, a lot of people understand the unique opportunity that track gives you to feel um, uh, accomplishment, you know, personal accomplishment and personal like development and growth that maybe some other sports it's, it's harder to, to see. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think in track, like I say, you, you can make progress within whatever event you might choose. And if you're making progress, you're a winner. You know, you're just moving forward and that's what it's all about. And all of a sudden you're on top of the podium. You just never know. Yeah. So Myron, before we let you go today, I just have a couple questions for fun, a couple of questions from other people that they wanted me to ask. Um, one of the first ones is, do you remember what year the state indoor meet would have started using FAT timing? Oh, Lord, what year? That's getting pretty specific. Um, <laughs> Not my question, someone else's. Probably... Let's see. I would guess maybe like 15 years ago or so. I'm not, I'm really not sure. I never, never paid a whole lot of attention. I just, if you've seen some of the videos I've clipped out where they always stayed indoor, it used to be on the east side would be the 60 meter dash. And on the west side was the 60 meter hurdles all run at the same time. It started heating the 60 meter dash when that got gun went off there on the west side they put the hurdles in the blocks and the gun would go off there and they go back and forth and they got them done in a hurry and there was the eight timers on the east side and the eight timers on the west side so the whole bison track team was really busy <laughs> so that it, it's probably been uh, back in the 90s when it started fat I, i'm not totally sure okay okay and i think maybe there was more electronic outdoors before it got moved indoors more to speak just because especially like at SU where they used uh, the athletes mm -hmm. for working the, all of the events and stuff and like I say there was eight people on each side of the track timing and the starter and full vault and high jump and long jump and triple jump and you know one pit at the BSA to do all the long and triple jumps. All right so I got two more questions for you. The hey. other other one, as a volunteer assistant at NDSU, you've gotten to go up to quite a few different track meets. Is there a favorite track meet that you've gotten to travel to with the NDSU team? Uh, I guess the conference meets were always fun. Those were always a blast because, you know, that's really the anxiety, the anticipation, and the excitement of, of the conference meet is always really things. So I guess from that standpoint, those would be by far the most exciting. Uh, the trips to California and those kinds of places were great. Um, you know, enjoyed all those and stuff, but the conference meets were definitely a, a highlight without a doubt. Yeah, those are, those are really hard to beat. Just the atmosphere. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. You know, the meets in California. Yeah. You're going to see some Olympians and so forth competing or down to Drake, you know, those kinds of things. You, you get to see the, the elite of the United States competing along with the collegians, which is a pretty cool thing. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then our last question, we always ask this to every one of our guests on the show, but if you were going to give some advice to a young runner or a young track and field athlete that's hoping to go on and, you know, chase their goals at the high school level and then maybe even go on to the collegiate level and compete, what advice would you give that young runner or young thrower or jumper? Like you said, there's so many different events you could be a part of. Well, just uh, try to be the best they can be at whatever event they may choose to do. And little bits of progress are what it's all about. You're not going to go from a six-minute miler down to a four-minute miler over the course of a week. You know, you, you just need to work at it and take small increments because uh, it takes a long time to get to those uh, levels of success or improving your time. You just got to take one one little thing at a time and just see if you can work on that and just keep a positive attitude. And there's a, a, a little about a 25-minute talk that a friend of mine, United States Olympic coach Ken Foreman, gave at, at my one of my Devil's Lake track camps. And he's given it around the world to Olympic athletes, and it's it's the word reach, R-E-A-C-H. And on each of those letters, you hang a, a word, and under R, you put the word risk. You have to be willing to take a risk to uh, make any improvement. E is for expect, expect great things to happen. Wake up in the morning expecting good things to go on. A is for the word act. So you can act upon those things that you expect to happen and keep reaching for your goal. C is to make the right choices. You know, that you maybe the right choice of events. Maybe you need to shift events, you know, shift to the left, shift to the right, whatever kind of a thing and see what events, but make the right choices, not only in what events to be in track, but in life. You know, um, I've always been of the philosophy that AA doesn't stand for alcohol and athletics. And so make the right choices. And H is to hustle after those goals that you have. Just go for them and never look back and just keep rolling. And I guess that's, that's my biggest thing would be that they should reach for their goals and make small increments. You, you can't sit down and say, you know, I'm going to be an Olympic champion on day one. But yet in high school, uh, I had a goal of the Olympic Games. Now, I never made it, but I did have an Olympic coach come to Devil's Lake for about 12 or 14 years of track camps. And so I feel like I've been pretty successful at doing that. But it's reach, risk, expect, act, choose, and hustle. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, that is one heck of a piece of advice to give to some of these young runners. So who's ever listening out there, and that's not just on the track either. That's something you could probably apply to most anything in your life. Right. Most anything. Yeah. You betcha. Yeah. Well, Myron, we want to just say thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to join us. You, like I said earlier, have so much wisdom and you've done so much for the sport. So thank you to you for doing that. And thank you from, I'm sure the thousands of student athletes that you've touched and changed lives. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that are going to listen to this and recall some great memories that you had as their coach or their teacher. And I can't wait for those people to listen to this. Well, thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. 
Myron, thanks so much. This is a blast. Um, we, I, I will really want to have you on again so we can kind of pick your brain a little more, hear a couple more of those stories, but, uh, thanks again for me for coming on and, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have to do it again. So I'll let, I'll let Ryan finish the episode out. So you got any plans for the rest of your Sunday? Rest of my Sunday, I'll probably kick back here for a while and, uh, see what might be on the tube, but I don't care to venture outside too far. It's too doggone cold. So, uh, I'll stay in and stay warm and uh, get ready for the, the heat wave coming on Tuesday or Wednesday. I mean, 33 on Wednesday, man alive. That's a 60-degree yeah, turnaround. <laughs> we need that. We all got to thaw yeah, out a little bit. Yeah, shorts weather, won't it? Yeah, just about. Just about. <laughs> all right, Myron, we'll talk soon, but thank you again for everything. You bet. Thanks, Ryan. Take care. Yeah, we'll see you later. You bet. Bye.